Today we are reading Luke chapter 15, verses 11 through 32. You can follow along on page 8 of the bulletin. But first, please pray with me. Our Father in heaven, thank you for your word. Thank you for the story of the loving father and the lost son. Please give us ears to hear in a fresh way this well-known story. Bless Pastor Jim as he brings your word to us now. In the name of Jesus Christ, our Savior and Lord, amen. Hear the word of the Lord from Luke 15. Then Jesus said, There was a man who had two sons. The younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of the property that will belong to me. So he divided his property between them. A few days later, the younger son gathered all he had and traveled to a distant country, and there he squandered his property in dissolute living. When he had spent everything, a severe famine took place throughout that country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country who sent him to his fields to feed the pigs. He would gladly have filled himself with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. But when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired hands have bread enough to eat and to spare? But here I am dying of hunger. I will get up and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me like one of your hired hands. So he set off and went to his father. But while he was still far off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion. He ran and put his arms around him and kissed him. Then the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his slaves, Quickly, bring out a robe, the best one, and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet and get the fatted calf and kill it and let us eat and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to celebrate. Now his elder son was in the field. And when he came and approached the house, he heard music and dancing. He called one of the slaves and asked what was going on. He replied, Your brother has come and your father has killed the fatted calf because he has got him back safe and sound. Then he became angry and refused to go in. His father came out and began to plead with him. But he answered his father, Listen, for all these years I have been working like a slave for you, and I have never disobeyed your command, yet you have never given me even a young goat so that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours came back, who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fatted calf for him. Then the father said to him, Son, you were always with me, and all that is mine is yours. But we had to celebrate and rejoice, because this brother of yours was dead and has come to life. 
He was lost and has been found. The word of the Lord. I saw an interview recently with a father who was talking about his experience as a college student and the reputation that he had uh, for wild behavior. His friends called him mailbox head uh, because his head was pretty big and he was kind of reckless with it. He said uh, in this interview, I didn't really have a plan in life back then. I drank too much. I threw illegal parties on campus. I climbed abandoned bridges. One time I broke my tailbone because I thought it'd be fun to make a toboggan out of a beer banner. The wild behavior carried over into the first few years of my marriage. But when I was 27, my daughter was born. Three months later, I went hiking with my buddies, and I started to climb a cliff without ropes. And I got about 80 feet up, and I couldn't get any higher, but I also couldn't get down. I was so desperate that I was about to jump. I kept thinking about my daughter. Somehow my friend talked me down, and I ended up surviving. But that was the end of Mailbox Head. The experience of becoming a father uh, changed this man. Not immediately, but as he continued to live in the same way that he always had, uh, he suddenly had to wake up to the reality of this new relationship in his life. A, A relationship that he realized meant more to him than just doing whatever he wanted. Well, over the next three weeks, we're going to be studying this parable of the prodigal son that we just heard read. And I thought of uh, Mailbox Head uh, because the the prodigal son is a lot like him, uh, I think. And and this parable invites us to think about our relationships and and how they impact all of our choices and and decision-making. Last week, we considered the parable setting in Luke 15. You remember Jesus is being critiqued by the Pharisees uh, for some of the relationships that he had, eating with the tax collectors and the sinners. And this this story is is part of Jesus' response to those critiques. We're going to hear this parable two more times in the coming weeks. And each time, uh, we're going to focus on a different character. So first, the younger son then the, the elder son, and finally the father. So today, the, the younger son. What is the younger son's problem? From one perspective, this parable seems very straightforward. The son is self-centered, he's rebellious, he's foolish, he's wasteful. It's pretty clear he's living only for himself, and it, it leads him into trouble. But I also think this is one of the hardest parables for us to understand because we live in a society, in a time, in a place where uh, modern individualism is all about going out on your own and doing things your own way when necessary. It, it, I think, can actually be difficult for many of us to comprehend how shocking this scene would have been to Jesus' original hearers. Those of you from non-Western cultures probably get the the feel of this a lot better than the rest of us. The the son is showing his father such disrespect. He he asks for his share of the inheritance, and we could translate this simply, give me my stuff. The father is still alive, so to ask for the inheritance early would have been tantamount to, to 
wishing that his father was dead. The prodigal son doesn't care for his father. He only cares about what he can get from him. Not only does he reject the father, he rejects the whole family. Notice, he, he gathered all he had. He doesn't want to leave anything at home. To leave any of his stuff at home would leave part of himself there. He doesn't want to be there at all. Notice, uh, he traveled to a distant country. He goes, a, he goes as far away as he possibly can. And he doesn't just leave physically, he leaves morally. He rejects the values of his upbringing and dissolute living. In 2015, a, a British writer named Johann Hari gave a TED Talk on addiction that's been viewed 5.6 million times on YouTube. In this talk, he challenges the belief that addiction is just a, caused by a, a chemical process. He points out that patients who receive painkillers after medical procedures don't usually become addicts. Instead, he argues, the cause of addiction is lack of human connection. In this TED Talk, he says, human beings have a natural and innate need to bond. And when we're happy and healthy, we'll bond and connect with each other. But if you can't do that, because you're traumatized or isolated or beaten down by life, you will bond with something that will give you some sense of relief. Now, that might be gambling, that might be pornography, that might be cocaine, that might be cannabis, but you will bond and connect with something because that's our nature. That's what we want as human beings. So the opposite of addiction is not sobriety. The opposite of addiction is connection. I love what Hari says here because I think it fits really well with what Christians believe about people, but also what we see here in this parable. The, the younger son cuts himself off from every relationship that matters, and then he falls into a life of addiction until everything is gone. Verse 14, when he had spent everything, a severe famine took place throughout that country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country who sent him to his fields to feed the pigs. He would gladly have filled himself with the pods that the pigs were eating, and no one gave him anything. Now, he's a Jewish boy outside the promised land looking at the pigs' food, you know, wanting to, feeding the pigs and wanting to eat their food. It really doesn't get any worse than this. But, but standing there, Looking at the pigs, verse 17 says, he came to himself, or he came to his senses. He realizes that by, by going his own way, down this path of only considering his own wants and desires, something had gone horribly wrong. The result was only broken relationships and a desperate loneliness. No one gave him anything. So he makes a plan. He said, how many of my father's hired hands have bred enough and despair, and here I am dying of hunger. I will get up and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me like one of your hired hands. His plan is simple. He's going to go to the father. He's going to confess his sin. 
and then be accepted as a servant working on the farm, maybe paying off his debt. It's at this point in the parable that I, I think we see the son's greatest problem. It's not just that he went into the distant country and lived the kind of lifestyle that he did, but that even as he comes home, the distant country is inside of him. The distant country is not a place, but a mentality that rejects a relationship with the father. Either through rebellion and going his own way and doing what he wants, being distant, or through living close by, but as a slave, as a servant. The father, even for the son as he returns, is only a potential source of a wage. He's not prepared to receive the father's love. He doesn't really believe that his father is gracious and loving. He's still cut off from who the father really is. The prodigal son is a portrait of the human condition. Our problem is not only, as the thinker Hari says, that we become disconnected from other people, which does lead to addiction and other problems, but Christians say that underneath all our broken relationships is a disconnection with our Creator. We don't see God as loving and gracious. We only see him as a demanding taskmaster. So we use him rather than love him. There's some of the younger son in all of us. We can be so self-centered. We value things over people, prestige over relationships. We make short trips into the distant country all the time. But the distant country is also in us. When we fail, We write our own little speeches for God. Father, I have sinned. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. And we say we're coming home, but we do it on our own terms, as hired hands, not as sons. We agree to work hard, to volunteer, to give more, to be more disciplined. We try hard to be a better person. And it might be right to do all of those things, but we're still lost if we believe that we have to do those things to earn God's affection. Jesus here describes the character of the Father very differently. Let's look at at this. The the theologian Miroslav Volf describes two ways that the, the Father in this parable interrupts the Son as he comes back. First, the Father interrupts the Son's plan. You remember the Son's plan? He's going to first go to the Father. He's going to confess his sin. And then he's going to be accepted as a hired hand. So he does it. In verse 20, he goes to the Father. But while he was still far off, his Father saw him. And he was filled with compassion. And he ran and put his arms around him and kissed him. Before the Son can get a word out, the Father has his arms around him. He doesn't ask what the the son has done in the far country. He doesn't ask about the money. 
He doesn't look at the boy's clothes. He doesn't wait for an apology or a confession. The father sees his son, and his arms are open wide to welcome him home. His acceptance is unconditional. And as the father embraces him, as he's, he's pushed up against the father's chest, the son is able to get his speech out, at least a part of it. Father, I have sinned against heaven, and before you I am no longer worthy to be called your son. And then the father interrupts him again. Before he can voice his new servant identity, the terms on which he's going to come back home and be a hired hand, the father bestows sonship on him. He puts the family seal on his finger. He clothes him with his robe. He begins the celebration. He doesn't look at the son as the son looks at himself. The son looks at himself as as unworthy to be called a son. He doesn't want to be a son. He wants to be a hired worker. But the father sees his son. His son brought back from the dead as lost but now found. And the simple fact that he has returned, that he is there, is worth celebrating before anything else has been said. Earlier we saw all the ways in which the son turned his back on his father, how he rejected him, treated him as if he was dead. But the father never let go of the relationship. He never let go of his son. When the son first came to him and he asked for his inheritance, he, he didn't react in anger, though he, he would have been in the right to do so. He, he divided the property. He endured the pain of the son's rejection. And then he waited patiently for the son to come home. He looked for the opportunity to embrace his son again. I have a lot of favorite movies, but one of my all-time favorites is a film from 1983 called Tender Mercies, uh, starring Robert Duvall. It won Oscars for Best Original Screenplay and Best Actor. It was nominated for five Academy Awards, including Best Picture. And Tender Mercies tells the story of a washed-up, alcoholic, country music singer named Mac and his relationship with a young widow and her son in rural Texas. At the beginning of the film, the opening scene, Mac is near death as he wakes up in a drunken stupor in the Texas flatlands. He has absolutely nothing in his possession. We don't know how he ended up out there. Uh, But there is a roadside motel and a gas station nearby. And the widow who owns it uh, takes him in under the condition that he not drink while working. Uh, There's not a lot to do out there in this part of Texas, and so they spend a lot of time sitting alone in the evenings, and eventually a romance begins. They get married, they start attending a Baptist church, and Mac gets baptized. It's only after his baptism that his past as a country music star starts creeping in. His old bandmates come around, his ex-wife, the daughter he had never met, 
all these have the potential to derail him from his new life. And he spends one night drunk. Uh, but the, the slow, quiet grace, the love that he has experienced uh, in this place has changed him uh, for good. At one point, he says to Rosalie, his new wife, I don't know why I wandered out to this part of Texas drunk, and you took me in and pitied me and helped me to straighten out, marry me. Why? Why did that happen? Is there a reason that happened? And there's no clear reason. Like the father in the parable, Rosalie loved him because she loved him. She showed him a grace that accepted him as he was, but didn't leave him as he was. True grace transforms us in the context of a loving relationship. Like the father who embraces his son with all his mixed motives, his imperfections, his failure. Something in in Tender Mercies that I, I find so interesting is that Mac doesn't struggle with temptation until after he's been baptized. It's a great way of representing the Christian life. Like the prodigal son, we may come to God initially with a very shallow understanding of our need and of God's standards. We may just want life to be better because we know how foolish we've been. We may just be looking for what we can get from God more than God himself. And yet he embraces us. He interrupts our own plans for works righteousness and instead he shows us amazing grace. In our assurance of pardon today uh, from Galatians 4, earlier in the service, uh, we heard these words. But when the set time had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law, that we might receive adoption to sonship. Jesus, the natural son, redeems us that we might become adopted sons and daughters He didn't wait for us to repent or to clean up our act. He didn't demand that we feel sufficiently guilty or shameful before sending his son to save us. While we still lived in the far country, or or while we carried the far country in our hearts, God sent Christ to die for our sins, to bring us new life. But he doesn't stop there. He goes further. Just as the father interrupted the son again after his confession of sin, and clothed him in his robe and put the ring on his finger, God does not leave us as servants. Galatians 4 continues, Because you are his sons, God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, the spirit who calls out, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but God's child. And since you are his child, God has made you also an heir. Paul says that God sends his own spirit into our hearts to enable us to cry out to him as a child. Friends, if you believe that God loves you this much, it has all sorts of implications, but especially for our relationships. You know what it's like to to be rejected, to be hurt by others. But if our lives have been interrupted by God's grace, 
then we will be people who show grace to others. We won't demand that they grovel before us for forgiveness. While they are still a long way off, we will run to them in compassion. We won't demand obedience from people before we accept them. When those around, of us, around us have made a, a mess of their lives, whether it's a result of their rebellion and foolishness or just their bad luck, we, we won't stick their noses in it or, or shrug our shoulders. We will love them like the shepherd who goes after the lost sheep. We will pursue them in the same way that God has pursued us. We offer relationship unconditionally. We welcome others as God has welcomed us. And then we point them to the God who also welcomes them, who desires their return to his family. Jesus says, Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened to you. This is what the younger son shows. We don't just go into the distant country. The, The distant country is in us. We can be so completely lost that we don't even know that we're lost. But the Father has never removed us from his heart. Even when we're far off, he runs and puts his arms around us and he kisses us. And he says, you are my beloved son. You are my beloved daughter. With you, I am well pleased. Do you believe this? Let's believe it together. Please pray with me. Gracious God, we, we thank you for the, this revelation of the depth of your love in this parable. Uh, we pray that today and in the coming weeks that we might see more of your love uh, and that your love uh, is always enough to match the depth of our need. So would you also show us uh, how much we need you uh, that we might know more of your love. Uh, we thank you that Uh, You have come in the person and the work of Jesus, that you uh, are always moving towards us even when our backs are turned, and you invite us uh, into uh, this relationship of grace and of mercy. Uh, May we uh, know that love here today, and may it work out from uh, this place into all our lives and our relationships, uh, our families, this community, this city, and campus that you might be known uh, and you might be uh, glorified uh, here in this place. We give you thanks and praise today. In Jesus' name, amen.